0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want to jump into the Word of God today. If you've got a Bible, go with me to the book of John is where we're going to look John's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John the Beloved. John the Beloved. And um, that's where we're going to begin in a few moments. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the, the faithful who journeyed here today, that, Lord, you've drawn them to you. I pray that in the moments we have together, you would draw people close to you. And, Lord, that you would be life to them and you would grant unto them life. Lord, help us to push aside distractions in a season called summer, which is privy or given itself to more distractions. Help us to not take steps backwards this summer, but help us to take steps forward, both individually and corporately. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. So the people in this room, those that are streaming live today, most of us have crossed the line of faith, as we call it. We've opened our lives to Jesus. We've opened our hearts to the Lord. And so many of you, you've said, God, I want you to be real in my life. You've said, God, I want you to be real in my experience. And if you're like so many people I know, and particularly those that I've pastored for so many years, you have this epic moment in your life where you say to the Lord, you know what, God, I'm completely yours. I'm completely surrendering. I am yours. And then the next day happens. You wake up and you say, whoa, what what happened? Like, Yesterday, Sunday was so epic, and today, Monday, I'm still me. Like yesterday was awesome, but today I wake up, and I'm still in the same situation. I'm still the same person. And that, by the way, might be the most traumatizing thing of all in the Christian experience. That's very traumatizing. Jesus, give me a new life. And then you wake up the next day, and you're in the same life. Jesus, give me a new life. And you wake up that next week, and you're in the same life. You're still me, You have the same job. You know the job you didn't want before you came to Jesus? You still got that job. Uh, you got the same husband. You know, you asked Jesus to change that too, but he didn't change that. Uh, you had the same wife. You asked Jesus to change that, but he didn't change that as well. And what happens is I think a huge part of the confusion in the spiritual journey is that we expect God to change everything around us and not understand that actually the change is everything inside of us. See, the Christian life, if you really boil it down, you see the life God wants to bring isn't about your outside world. It's about changing your inside world. That God changes the inside of our existence, the inside of our life, long before anything externally ever changes. But a big part of the problem is when we come to the Lord, not enough people probably tell us that. And we also hear sermons that somehow motivate us and we feel like, you know what, I need to surrender everything to God or God, I I want to be sold out to you. But what does that process look like? What does that process look like? We're in this series called Distracted, all of the distractions that keep us from the things in life that really matter. Well, there's this beautiful promise that Jesus makes in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus makes a promise. He says, I have come. What? Why have I come? Jesus says to give you life and give you life to the full. To give you life more abundantly. He says, I've come to give you life, to give it to you in abundance. That's what I want. And there's this beautiful promise that God came to give us life. Jesus came to give you life. But how do we live in this life? What does it look like to become a spiritually mature human being? What does that look like? What does it look like to become a person that is fully following after Jesus? How do I, Pastor Craig, take this journey deeper? How do I take my journey with Christ to a more mature level? Well, I want to let you know from the outset that Jesus didn't die on a cross so that you could have a religion. He didn't die on a cross so you could have a coherent belief system. He didn't die on a cross so you could have a faith. Jesus died and he rose again that you might have life. Jesus wants you to live. He wants to give you life. Jesus came to give life. And the wonderful thing about this is that Jesus didn't just die for you. He also came to be your guide. He came to lead you in every step of every day. So what I want to do today is I want to go back to where Jesus gave this promise and I want us to insert ourselves into the context so that from the context we can understand how Jesus grants life. We can understand how Jesus keeps us from being distracted. We can understand how Jesus keeps us on the path and journey and trajectory he has for our life. Now, some of you... Even in this church, you've told me, I grew up in church, I grew up in religion, I grew up in this faith tradition, and it just never took hold. And some of you, the the most disillusioning, disheartening, overwhelmingly disappointing, depressing thing happening, probably in the church today, is people who know what it's like to apply everything that you know from your church upbringing, and still, once you've done that, it never seems as if it's changed you. That's disillusioning when I apply everything that seemingly was taught to me from the experiences I had as a believer, and yet it doesn't change me. It doesn't really take root in my life. John chapter 10, look at our Lord Jesus in verse 1. This is what our Savior says. The thief, verse 1, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, Jesus said, but climbs in by some other way, that man's a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out, Jesus tells us. Verse 4. This is pretty astounding, right? He calls them by name. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, if this is new for you, maybe church is new for you, this is a metaphor. Jesus is the good shepherd, and we are the sheep. And that is not a compliment, by the way. Us being sheep is not a compliment from our Savior's mouth. Okay? But one of the unique relationships between a shepherd and his sheep is that shepherds train their sheep to hear their voice. If you go to the a e the ancient Near Eastern world, you can see that many shepherds would get together with hundreds of sheep, and all of the sheep belonged to different flocks. And the one single shepherd would step up in the line at a time. He would shout out his cadence, and all of the sheep would disseminate from the rest of the herd and follow him to a different pasture. All sheep know their shepherd's voice. Jesus is saying this, verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, again a metaphor, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. They didn't understand because they are not his. Here you go. You see how John's really smart how he writes this text. Therefore, Jesus again said, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, and all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, and they will go out, and they will find pastor. Look at verse 10. He says the thief comes to steal only to steal kill and destroy but I have come that they might have life and have life to the full. Jesus is telling us he has one singular intention for your life. One singular intention and that's to give you life. To move into the fullness of life and this is what the journey looks like. But at the same time there is a thief that is trying to steal your life from you. And many of you, you know my wife. My wife is an extremely generous person. She loves to give things away. And uh, I tell her all the time, listen, babe, you keep giving what you have away. I tell her it's generosity when you give your things away, but when you give my things away, it's called stealing. Okay, that's two totally different things. And my wife's ministry to me very early on in our ministry career was I would go on the road to preach all the time I would normally be once a month at least over in California and so every time I would come back in the house and I would walk in the closet how many how many husbands know what I'm talking about I knew something was missing I didn't know what it was and I would never know again what it was she knows this and women know this about our brains and photo photographic memories and so they know that we think a little bit differently. so I knew something was wrong I knew something was gone but I just didn't know what was gone and it wasn't until months later till you look in their trunk, right, and you see a whole bag on its way to Goodwill full of all the clothes that she thinks that she needs to minister to you to get out of your closet. It was her ministry to me, right? i never forget in high school at uh, 2003, I got a uh, brand-new Tacoma. It wasn't brand-new at the time. It was 2000 Tacoma, but it was brand-new to me. And I was graduating in high school, and I got this Tacoma. I'm still driving it today. Hallelujah. 14 years without a truck payment. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, I, was, I got that brand new truck. I pulled it into my, to my uh, sp- spot at school. I went to school all day, and then I went to basketball practice. And at the end of basketball practice, I went out, and somebody had taken keys and gone down both sides of my brand new truck. I mean, literally just down the sides. Well, I later found out it was a freshman who was on our basketball team. And uh, don't do this at home, kids, but we turned off the light in the locker room and pulled up his shirt, and I red-bellied him until he almost bled, okay? I did not know Jesus at the time, and uh, that's just my retribution and way to vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's, but I didn't know the Lord at that time. And so I red-bellied him. I mean, I got mad because, King, listen, I'm a generous person. I really am. I love to give things away, but I had temper and fury when I just got in this brand-new truck. I'm a generous person, but don't try to steal from me. Particularly, don't try to steal something from me that's of value. And you know what I thought about this last week? I was more upset about someone trying to steal the purity of my
1: freshly painted truck than some of us are about someone trying to steal our lives. I was more upset about someone stealing that purity. And Jesus says that the thief comes only to
0: steal, only to rob, only to kill, only to destroy, and some of you aren't upset enough that someone's trying to steal your life from you. Some of you aren't upset enough that someone wants to take life from you. I want you to know this, that in the backdrop of Jesus' great promise is this ominous reality that there is a thief trying to steal your life. From you, And we don't understand how Jesus gives us life. I, let me tell you why we don't understand how Jesus gives us life, which also means why we don't understand how the enemy tries to steal our life. you got to understand, this metaphor, I'm the way, the truth, uh, Jesus said that I, I am the shepherd of the sheep, my sheep know my voice, and then he tells them I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. That metaphor, you've got to understand, is not just there incidentally. Jesus is trying to teach us how he gives us life. The way he gives us life is very clearly intrinsic in this passage. So go to the beginning with me again, verse 1. Look how Jesus gives us life. The way Jesus gives us life, he says, Very truly I tell unto you, you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and robber. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. There is an assumption that Jesus makes about every one of us. And that assumption is that every person in this room has the capacity to hear the voice of God. Every one of us have that capacity. That God calls us out by name. That he knows us by name. That he speaks into our lives. That his voice becomes the guide that leads us into life because his voice is life. Jesus makes that assumption about you. Verse 4. He goes on and says, when he's brought out his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And they never follow a stranger. In fact, they're gonna run away from the stranger because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them because they're not his sheep. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, when I was studying literature in school, I'm a literature guy, I'm an English guy. And writing, you know you're not supposed to mix metaphors. Here, Jesus is violating a va- very basic principle in English. He would not make it past fifth grade English with his English skills right here. You do not mix metaphors. If you want to use a metaphor twice, you can do it in a different context. But you can't be both the shepherd and you can't be the gate. You're either the shepherd or the gate, but you're not the shepherd and the gate. Jesus says, hey, I'm Jesus. I'll be the shepherd and the gate. Thank you very much. That's what he is. I'm the shepherd and I'm the gate. I'm the shepherd, the one that gives life, and I'm the gate whereby you enter to get to life. That's who I am, Jesus says. I can be both. He goes on in verse 8 and says, All have come before me are thieves and robbers. Back up. But the thief, he says, the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will have life. Whoever enters through me will find life. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. And then he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. I want to ask you a
1: question this morning. Do you hear life calling you this morning? Do you hear life calling? Jesus actually paints a picture of how life comes to us. And the way life comes to us is by
0: hearing his voice. And here's the crazy thing. A lot of us in our lives, we live our lives believing in God but never hearing his voice. Or I could say it this way, believing in God but never recognizing His voice. Yet I know this about you. If you're in this room today, you're streaming live today, and you have ever crossed the line of faith. That is to say you've ever responded appropriately to the offer of forgiveness from Jesus. I want to tell you, you've at least heard God's voice once. You've at least heard it once. If you've ever responded to the Lord, because here's the amazing thing about God. Guess what? You don't have to believe in Him for Him to speak to you. You don't have to believe in him for him to speak. He'll speak to you when you don't believe in him. I want you to know right now that as you're sitting in that chair, God is speaking to you right now. He is speaking to you, in fact, all the time. In fact, Scripture says all creation is declaring God's glory. You know what that means? All of creation, the the trees, the landscapes are screaming at you to try to get your attention so you'll stop
1: being distracted and listen to your shepherd. All creation is screaming at you. Listen to your shepherd.
0: But there's a thief. And the thief understands that it's a voice that gives us life, so it's a voice that can steal life from us. Are you with me? He understands the way the thief will steal your life is becoming the voice you listen to that steals your life from you. The way the enemy gets life away from you is by speaking to you. See, if you understand this, then what happens in Genesis begins to make so per- perfectly sense. Per- perfect sense. Look at Genesis chapter three. You know the story. God creates Adam. He names all the animals. He puts him to sleep. He takes a rib out. He creates Eve. He brings Eve to the man. He places them in paradise. It's a utopian society. It's perfect. They are naked. They are unashamed. They're two trees central to the garden. You know, the tree of life. Why the tree of life? Because that's what God came to bring is life. God has no intention other than to bring you life. God wants you to live. That's God's purpose for you is to have life. There's a tree of life, and there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the one that he says that when we make that decision, we make that decision to sever our relationship with God, to break off from life. And of course, what do they do? They eat that one tree. They eat from that one tree. And what happens after that? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Pause, did you catch that? The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Did you catch that? Some of you don't even know what
1: God's voice sounds like, but the man and woman, they knew what God's steps sounded like. We don't even know his voice, they know his feet. It didn't say he spoke. Wow. Can you imagine having such an intimate relationship with God that you know
0: what God sounds like when he's moving towards you? Can you imagine
1: knowing the Lord so intimately that you know what he sounds like when his approach is you? He's moving towards you. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. He said, where are you?
0: This is the first time humanity ever hid from God. By the way, when he says, where are you? God is not confused about where they are in the garden, okay? Okay, this is God
1: saying, follow me, church. How did you get to some place that you are not with me? God is asking, how did you get to the place that you're hiding from me? How did you get to the place, where are you? Can I tell you what
0: God's question is for us today at Dwelling Place? Where are you? Where are you? Maybe that's the question he would ask you right now is, where are you? How did you get to the place where you and I no longer spend time together? How did you get to the place where you and I are no longer able to be in each other's presence because you're so distracted? Hey, hey, where are you today? Where are you?
1: Where are you? Where are you, dwelling place? Where are you? Woodstock? Where are you? That's the question. By the way, the spiritual journey is so unique to your relationship with God Because
0: life is not about a destination. Life is a journey. Listen, it is the path, not the destination that brings life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The life comes by walking with him, not when you get there. It is the path that is life. It is the path that is truly living. And Adam's response to God is is quite amazing. He answered, I heard you in the garden.
1: Wow! I heard you. I didn't hear you speak. I heard your feet. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I
0: hid. This, by the way, is where I think it gets so traumatizing. (laughs) He said, I heard you, and I was afraid. It was the first time humanity had ever heard God and was afraid. You're not supposed to hear God and be afraid. You're supposed to hear God and be full of joy. You're supposed to hear God and be full of life. You're supposed to hear God and be full of love. You're supposed to hear God and know that love is moving in your direction. You're supposed to hear God and open up your life. You're supposed to hear God and run to God. You're supposed to hear God and run to life. But this time, they heard God, and they were afraid. Now, before I get to God's question, I want to ask myself, ask you, and ask yourself... If I was God, the next question I would ask man would not be the question God asked. If I knew you just blew it for the rest of all humanity, you just allowed sin to pillage the world, to separate a chasm between humanity and God, I don't think I would ask this question. If you just destroyed everything,
1: I would go, what were you thinking, Adam? Do you understand what you've done? Was I not clear? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That's not what God asked. You know what God asked? Verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? God, with all due respect, I know you're God, but why does that matter? Can
0: you get off the sub-point here? Can we get back to the message? They just destroyed everything, including the earth. Now there's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be hurricanes and the whole creation is subject to frustration. I don't think it really matters who told
1: us that we were naked. Aren't you focusing on a subpoint, Lord?
0: Why would God ask him this question? Here it is, you ready? It's because it's the first time in the human
1: story where any other voice other than God formed the identity of humanity. The only time a voice other than God's voice formed the identity of the human
0: race Who told you, God said, he's a little little perturbed. Who told you that you were
1: naked, he says.
0: What God is asking them is this. What voice have you allowed in your life, dwelling place that has stolen life from you? What voice have you allowed in your life that is distracting you? What voice do you hear life calling? Because when you hear life calling, your instinct will be to run away from God because you are naked and ashamed. But I want you to know you need to run to that voice because in that voice there is life. In that voice there is grace. And you need to realize there are so many voices in your head that need to be silenced. Can I ask you today what voices need to be silenced? What voices need to be silenced? What voices are telling you that you're naked and so you're running from God filled with shame? That's such an odd question to ask. Who told you you were naked? See, they were naked up to that point, but someone told them that and they put shame in their life. They were naked, but they didn't know they were naked and had no shame. This perhaps is... uh, Personal to me, I was about 12 years old, maybe 13 years old. I was in the middle school years, uh, of which you're in full identity crisis. Middle school years are very interesting. Nobody knows who they want to be. They want to be the other person, and the person that they want to be doesn't want to be them. They want to be somebody else. This is just great years, and um, identity crisis, middle school, right? And, and and you don't just kind of fall into middle school ministry, by the way. You feel a clear call of God onto middle middle school ministry. All right. It's a a clear unction from the Lord. But but, uh, when you talk about middle school time frame, I was a person who was deeply uh, lost. I didn't know I was lost. I grew up in a home that, at this point, I was not a believing Christian. and I lived in Chattanooga. I was at a friend's house. His name was Craig Potter. We were at a pool party. And um, we were downstairs. And um, this is normally not what you do to... Teenagers, uh, I know it was funny, and we did it too, and God forgive me, but uh, in, this, in Tennessee, we call it shanking people. I know that means stabbing here, but I guess they call it pantsing people here. Okay, And so I'm standing in front of about 30 middle school students. Uh, half of them are girls in my class, and I'm wearing swim trunks with no underwear on, and I'm standing in front of them, and my friend Daniel Thompson, well, I guess he's a friend, right, comes up behind me and pants me, and I'm standing completely nude in front of all of my middle school classmates. Now, the first response I had was to try to run out of the room, but I couldn't because they were in a circle around me, okay? So at this point, I don't know if I should, yeah, it's okay. Some of y'all don't know to laugh. Get it out of your system. It's okay, all right? Some of y- get it out. Some of y'all are like, oh, God, is he still dealing with this? Childhood wounds? You know. So I know. Get it out. So cool, all right? So pants me. I'm standing there. I'm not sure what to do. And my instinct was to go to the fetal position and to quickly as I could cover and to try to pull my shorts up. Folks, when I ran out of the room, I was so aware of my nakedness. (laughs) I was aware. You know what's strange? I've thought about that. When I fell to the ground, I felt so much shame and so much humiliation. I really don't even remember what happened left. I kind of like blacked out and just put the memory out of my memory for years and years of my life because I felt so much shame. And I started wondering, how did I know to feel ashamed? I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up with faith. I didn't know that naked and ashamed was the common human experience since Adam. I didn't know that. I had no idea. No one taught me a seminar.
1: I did not know seminars. If you're naked, be ashamed. None. It was obvious I was naked, but I was. And did you know
0: over the next few weeks, as I got in the presence of those girls, any time, Anytime I got in the presence of those girls, I felt so ashamed. And I thought to myself, why did I carry that shame rather than give the shame to the people who did it to me? The reason being is because there are voices that tell us we're naked and we're ashamed, and that's the part of the human experience.
1: Who told you you were naked? Who told you to be full of shame? There are voices that tell you you don't matter,
0: that you're not existing, you're not valuable, you're not worthy of love, you're not worthy of acceptance, you're not worthy of grace. These are voices. And have you ever noticed how the negative voices get inside of you are really hard to get out, and all the positive ones leave you so easily? Have you noticed this? All the negative voices are so hard to get out. Everything that has ever been said to you that has hurt you, that has left you broken, that has hurt you in some way, it stays with you. And here's what it does. From every voice that you've ever heard that hurts you, it buries deep down inside of you, and it is so hard to silence. And yet all the encouragement in the world from the church seems like it washes away so quickly as if no one's ever done an affirmation circle with you. It washes away in no time. And I know in my own head, following Jesus, there are voices I've had to learn to silence. And a part of the reason I want to step into this subject today is that some of you are trying to figure out how to move forward spiritually. And I want you to know that the journey with Jesus is this. Can I define it for you? The journey with Jesus is learning how to hear his voice, how to know his voice, how to trust his voice, because in his voice there is life. That's the journey with Jesus. Hearing his voice, learning to hear his voice, trusting that voice. You will never graduate to a place where you don't trust the voice of Jesus. You will never graduate to a place where it require, doesn't require faith of you in his voice. You will never graduate to a place where you get to a place where you don't have to lean into that voice. And over and over again. The Spirit and the Scripture points this out. Listen to me. The willingness to obey every word from God is critical to hearing God speak. Can you hear me? If you will have a willingness to already obey, you will start hearing Him speak. I promise you. If you will write on the blank check, whatever you say, God, I say yes to. That is such a critical component to beginning to hear God speak to you. But God speaks in the silence of the heart, not the distracted, disordered heart. God speaks in the silent chamber. God speaks in the stillness. Over and over again, scripture points us out. Look at Hebrews chapter, uh, uh, chapter three. Look at this passage says, verse seven and eight. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, everybody say today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. He says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Jump with me to verse 15, same chapter, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. He goes on and says, it's just been said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Go to chapter 4 with me, same book, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, some to enter that pasture, some to enter that life, and since those who formerly had the good news or gospel proclaimed to them did not go in, because of their disobedience, because of their disbelief. God, again, said a certain day, calling it today. That he did a long time later. He spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He keeps telling us over and over and over again, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Listen to me. Spiritual growth is the gradual transition from a God of tradition to, to a God of experience. Spiritual growth is when you no longer rely on the God that mom and dad taught you about, but you start interacting with that God daily. That's spiritual growth. Moving from a God of tradition to a God of experience. He says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. You know what's assumed here? God is speaking to you, that you can actually hear his voice, but you have to
1: decide what you're gonna do. What's God's Spirit saying to you today, right now, this moment? What is God speaking into your life? Maybe you're afraid of it. Maybe maybe He's
0: demanding such change of you, you don't, you don't know if you can bear it. What is God speaking to you today? Because on the other side of those words, can I tell you, there is life waiting for you right now. The habitual sin that you have in your life that the enemy... Is trying to keep and say that that's a part of your existence, but God's asking you to change, asking you to come to confession. Listen, let me tell you what's on the other side of those words from God. L-I-F-E, life. God wants
1: life for you.
0: That's what God wants. He wants to give you life. I never forget. I was in Chattanooga. I was at my in-law's house, and my cousin was in a marriage at the time uh, that had gone uh, poorly. It's gone south. And uh, he was trying to save the marriage, but I got a call one night and uh, they just bought a brand new house and I was um, on the other end of the line and I heard what seemed to be a a pretty violent situation. So I said, stay there, I'm going to get in the car, I'm going to come, and they called the cops. The cops was called by her. And my cousin did something he shouldn't have done, but uh, when I got there, all the glass in the house was broken, Um, picture frames were everywhere, and he had taken her and put her in the trying to talk to her because she was seeing another man. He put her in an upstairs loft area and had closed the door and then put a couch in front of it. He wasn't going to hurt her. He's not that kind of guy, but he shouldn't have done that because then she got really, really paranoid. So she called the cops, and so I got him calmed down, and the cops made him dismiss and leave, and I got her calmed down enough to set her on the couch, and she was done with the relationship, done with the marriage, and there had been no desertion. There's no biblical reason for divorce. There had been no biblical desertion. She had not, He had not deserted the relationship. There had not been infidelity on his part. There's no biblical reason for divorce at this time. And, and I remember sitting down with her and I couldn't do anything. Anything I tried to do, I could not convince her to stay. And I, I remember sitting down with her and I said, well, listen, you, you got to understand. I said, is there any? And she said, I've got to leave him. I I've thought about it. I've got this you know, internal turmoil, but, but I've got to leave him. And I just sat down with her on the couch and i never forget it as long as I live. I said, is there any voice inside of you right now telling you what you should do?
1: Is there any voice? She said, yes, there is. And I said, What is that voice telling you to do? And she's saying, She said to me, That voice is saying that I know
0: as my husband I need to stay and work it out. And I stopped and I said, Forget everything else we've been talking about at this point. Do you realize just what just happened? She said, What? I said, You just heard the voice of God and you identified it. You said it was God's voice because it was the only voice fighting against all the other voices. Every other voice that was telling you to leave, every other voice that's telling you to get out, every other voice that's saying he's not worth it, that one voice disagreed with every other voice and you just told me you identified and said, wow, you just heard the voice of God. The creator of the universe just spoke to you
1: and you heard it. And you know what she told me? Even though I've heard it, it got worse because she said, I'm not obeying it. And she left the relationship. What does Hebrews tell us? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts.
0: See, if God speaks to you, If you don't like what God is speaking to you, he's not going to change the subject. You don't get to choose this conversation with God. He chooses the conversation with you. You don't get to pick the subject. I'm sorry, you don't. This is not the way this thing journey with God works. He picks the subject, and he comes to you, and if you don't like it, too bad. You have to talk to him about it, or you have to close off his voice, and you harden your heart. There's no other way. He comes to you and he brings up a conversation in his love and his grace and his mercy wants to speak to you. And then you've got to decide what you're going to do. And if you harden your heart, listen to me. Listen to my pastoral heart. What will happen to you is you over a period of years will become dull of hearing. And when God speaks to you and you don't move trusting God, you don't move following his voice, your heart becomes hardened, your ears become dull, and over time, the voice of God becomes silent to you and there will come a time, and I told her this, listen to me, there will come a time if you harden your heart, you will no longer be able to hear his voice and you will tell every other Christian God no
1: longer speaks. And that's not true. Today, if you hear his heart, hear his voice, don't harden your heart.
0: But if you will treasure his voice, even if you don't like what he says. Does God ever speak to anybody and you don't like what he's saying? Anybody? Okay, I'm the only one. Awesome, cool. You like everything he says. Great, great. You're up for challenges. So when God speaks to you, even if you don't like what he says, but you treasure what he says and lean into it and follow it, all of a sudden, every time you obey, your heart becomes soft and your ears get trained to hear the voice. People say, I want to hear God's voice. I want to hear God's voice. And you're sitting on your hands and you're not doing nothing in the kingdom and you won't hear it. But when you hear it and you obey and serve, your voice gets more trained and your heart gets softer. And you hear and you obey, your heart gets softer and your ear gets more trained. This is the way God leads us to life. This is the way he leads us to life.
1: Remember, church, one of the big purposes of prayer is to hear. Everybody say, to hear. You know one of the biggest mistakes you can make in your prayer life? Not making enough time to listen the biggest mistake you make in your prayer life is not making enough time to listen. See, when you're busy and you're full of energy, all we think about as it relates to our prayer life is talking, talking,
0: talking. But some of the best times I've ever spent in my life with the Lord are the times where I'm not using my mouth, but I'm using my ears. Some of the most sweetest moments in
1: my Christian journey have been ear moments, not mouth moments.
0: You remember the kindergarten teachers? Remember the kindergarten teacher? I was the kid that liked to talk in class, and the kindergarten
1: teacher would say, son, if your lips are moving, your ears are not working. You remember that?
0: Many of you right now, you're already thinking, you know what, I'm gonna take this message today, the voice of God. What am I gonna pray about this week? What am I gonna pray about this week? I'm doing it. I'm prayer life this week. It's good. And God's asking, what
1: are you going to let me talk about this week? What are you gonna let me talk about? Would you silence your heart enough that I can have a conversation with you?
0: And God is asking. Too many times we only think about what we want to talk about, what we want to express, what we want to share. I think God spends more time in heaven wondering if we will let
1: him talk more than we talk. Are
0: we going to let him speak?
1: Listen to me, church. Will you listen more than you talk when you spend time in prayer? Will you listen? It's the challenge. A big part of maturity is knowing when to stop talking. A big part of maturity is knowing when to stop talking, particularly in your prayer life. Proverbs says
0: that even a fool is thought to be wise when their mouth is shut. Even a fool can be wise when they are silent. The most important time in prayer is when you use your ears, not your mouth. The most important time in your prayer life is when you open up your ears and not your mouth. Think about something. I wanted you to do a little lab test with me. Can we do a nice little friendly lab test this beautiful Memorial Day weekend? I want you to do something with me. I want you to think about ears for a second. Think about ears. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person to your left or right and just start staring at their ears. Listen, ladies, I want you to take your hair and pull it back a little bit. you covering your ears. Pull it back. I want you to just stare at those ears. Come on, just do a little lab test, left and right. Look at those ears. Pull the hair back.
1: Study those ears for a minute. Come on. Participate. Look at their ears. Just look. Now, don't look into their ears. You will see something you don't want to see. I said look at their ears. Okay, look at their ears. Now, in that lab test, have any of you ever noticed how ugly ears are?
0: What is the deal, folks? These things, fearfully and wonderfully made, except the ear part... I mean, look at these ears. And if there was a guy next to you, seeing a lady just now, said, "Honey, your ears are beautiful." Listen, I'm not saying he's the antichrist, but he is the anti-husband. All right, because your ears don't listen to that crap. those ears are not beautiful. There's nobody got good-looking ears on the planet. All right, ears are ugly. The only thing uglier
1: than ears are feet. And supposedly the cartilage doesn't stop growing through life. They're full of wax. And as you get older, like 32, they start getting full of hair. That's
0: supposed to be when I'm 50, not 32. I'll start tweezing my ears. Isn't it interesting that God gave you two ears but only one mouth? Is it possible that God is mathematically giving us a revelation of the amount of time he'd love to see
1: us listen to him compared to the amount of time he'd like to see us talk? God would like for us to listen. Ecclesiastes 5.1. I know it says it hard, but let's just read it. It says it real hard. I know, I understand. Look what the scripture says. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Wow. That's a good scripture to approach Sunday mornings, isn't it? (laughs) It's evil to make mindless offerings to God. Evil to sing words on a screen that you don't believe in your heart. That's what he's saying. Keep your mouth shut. That's what I tell my kids all the time. Listen.
0: There's gonna come a day when you're wrestling with this faith thing, you never have to fake it. Listen, if you, if you have no heart to forgive another person because they do something, don't do it. But you're gonna have to repent at some point and God's gonna have to break your heart, but don't fake it. Keep your mouth shut and your ears open. Keep your mouth shut, your ears open. Look what he says in Isaiah 55 verse three. He says, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you'll find what? There's that word again. How does God give us life? Through our ears. How does God give us life? By us listening to His voice. There are things, some of you right now, you're thinking about what God wants to do in your future and what He wants to do with your life. Can I tell you, there are things that God wants to use you to accomplish in your life, but you're going to have to first hear Him speak before you act. You have to hear Him speak before you act. And the wisest thing you can do, listen, those who graduated, you graduates, the wisest thing you can do is not to spend countless hours telling God what you would like to do with your life. The wisest thing you can do is get on your face in your bedroom and spend countless hours listening to God tell you what he wants and how he wants to use your life. How he wants to use you. How he wants to speak to you. I want to ask you a question. It's our big million dollar question for the day. You ready for it? If God sat you down and said, would you rather be heard or would you rather me
1: hear me? In your heart of hearts, what would your answer be? Some of you, you can say, I'd rather be heard. I'm dying to be noticed. If God set you down and said, would you rather be heard or would you rather hear me speak to you? What would be your answer? Well, Craig, how do I even know I heard God? How do I even know I heard God? Let me tell you something. Part of that
0: process is us being silent in his presence. Everybody say silent. You know, social media, social media is a great tool to be leveraged for the kingdom of God. But listen, you know what social media has done? Social media has trained us, here it is, to enter into life situations as actors. Because here's what we do. Our environments are sets where we play out our premeditated narratives. We play them out and then we post them in anticipation of responses. So we're losing the ability to live without an audience. So here's what we do. We were in vacation. We get the kids together and we take a picture of our premeditated narrative of what we want people to respond to the picture that's there. So now we are moving into life as actors and the world is our theater and we can't live without audiences. You may tell you what your prayer closet does. It cuts that from you. It gets you to a place where you're no longer living with an audience. Only an audience of one where you're listening to God. Maturity, Charles Swindoll says, we no longer need the mother's milk of public attention. Maturity is when we no longer need the public attention. It's mother's milk, he calls it. And the most frequently compla- a voice complaint in all of the Bible, do you know what it is? That we don't hear God speak. And the temptation of our age is to live for an image we've created rather than an identity we've received. And listen, the only way you get an identity received is through Prayer. When you get in the closet of prayer, then God gives you an identity. But if you're distracted, so much of what you do in your prayer life is effective based upon what you do before you pray. You can't be open in Facebook or trying to read Twitter before you jump into prayer time, or your prayer time's going to be unproductive. You won't be able to listen. You won't be able to focus. See, the more familiar you are with someone, the easier it is to become silent in their, present, in their presence. So our unfamiliarity with God is because, or our inability to be silent before God reveals our unfamiliarity with God. We can't be, we, when we get in a prayer, we, we think we have to talk the whole time. We think we have to say, say something to him because we don't know him and we don't spend any time with him. And God, what if you did this to your wife every day and you came in and talked to her like this, she would probably like it, but, she, but,
1: but you wouldn't like it if she did this to you all the time. And the women said, amen. Listen, you want to know why we put so much emphasis? Listen, I'm closing. You want to know why we put so much emphasis on you and me knowing the scriptures? See, there's some of you in this room, you do not open your Bible during the week. You are spiritual bulimics. You gorge yourself on Sunday and you starve yourself the rest of the week. You're bulimic spiritually. And you know what Hebrews 4.12 says? Look what he says.
0: The writer of Hebrews, the exact same passage that you and I just looked at, verse 12 of Hebrews chapter four. Meanwhile, uh, uh, go to the next passage. That's 1 Samuel. He says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We have to get away from being distracted to hear his voice. There's a science. Y'all know I love science. The science that's emerged in our lifetime. You know what it's called? It's called forensic linguistics. Forensic linguistics. And it's through forensic linguistics that the cops, detectives have discovered that they can actually begin to identify a criminal by studying their writing and words. Here's what they do. There's people that study this, a full PhD education in forensic linguistics. You know what it is? When a serial killer sends their note a person they study their language they study exactly their semantics they study their diction they study the way they use participles and they can begin to through linguistics identify who that person is listen i read this week they identify what part of the country they come from how high of a level of education they have all of that done studying from a language And I thought, you know what? Some of you cannot identify the voice of God when he speaks to your soul because you have neglected the words that God has given you in his written word. And when you meditate on God's word, what happens is you train your soul to hear the voice of God. That's why I titled this message today, It is the Dynamic, Spiritual, Forensic, Linguistic Study of the Voice of God. And I can't understand God's voice unless I've read God's written word now I can identify when He speaks because I've read His language. I've read His letters. They're not serial memos of serial killing. They're memos of love. They're love letters to us. And when you hear God speak through the Scriptures, you begin to know what He sounds like when He's talking to you every moment of your life. I told you before, complaining that God is silent with your Bible closed is like complaining you get no calls when your phone's off. God's not a speaking God. Well, is your Bible open? Matthew 6 and 6, I end with this scripture. Jesus said, But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. Okay, great. I got it. I got it. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to have a private place where I can pray to God. Okay, I'll do it this week. All right, come on. Let's dismiss them no, no, no. You don't understand Matthew six six. If you want to run to your private place, you don't understand what he's saying here. I remember several months ago I went into prayer in my office. It was early in the morning. I went into prayer in my office and I remember the Lord spoke to me just very silent, me just very subtly. He said, "Craig, um, what is the last thing you hear your wife say before the two of you experience the greatest physical intimacy that you can have on this planet?" And so my mind started thinking. We got kids. We got an eight-year-old, we got a five-year-old and an 18-month-old. So here's what that means. There's no such thing as a closed door. No such thing as a closed door in my house. For young kids, every door is an open opportunity. And if it is a closed door, it's an invitation from mom and dad to see what's going on on the other side of the door. It's to get down on the ground, to look under the veil, put a towel there, it's to do whatever we can to find out what's happening on the other side of the door. So here is the last thing, y'all ready? You single people, get ready, here's romantic, you ready? Here's the last thing my wife says to me before we experience a very private moment, a very good moment, a very, very good moment, but this is the last thing my wife says to me right before we have sex, this is what she says to me. She says, Craig, honey, can you make sure the door's shut? Romantic, isn't it? Woo, we got some good days. Why would she say that? Listen. Here's why. Because what's about to happen on the other side of that door is so special and so intimate that not even our own flesh and blood, not even our own sons and daughters can have access to that moment in our relationship. And Jesus says in Matthew 6 and 6, every time you come to pray with me, I'm going to ask you, Craig, have you shut the door? Have you put the door to close? Because what's about to happen between me and you is so intimate that no one, not your wife, not your spouse, not your kids, not your church, not anybody else is having access to this moment between you and I. It's so intimate. It's so together. It's such you and I. It's something in heaven on earth. It's about to happen. Every anything you could ever do in this life, this is the most intimate thing. So would you hear the Lord say this week, Craig? Shut the door. I want to have some time with you. Shut the door. The bridegroom wants time alone with the bride. Would you be content, husbands, to be only with your bride at a restaurant in public every day 24/7? No. Why would Jesus be content with you only being with him in public? God wants a private audience with you, a private audience. I never forget, come on team. I was in Chattanooga years ago. I was doing a youth camp. And I got done with preaching and when I got done preaching, I walked out into this area that was a play area and there was a young girl that was sitting over on a basketball court by herself. And um, I never forget, she approached me, and we sat down there on the basketball court, and I put my arm around her, and I could tell she was deeply distraught. I never knew her before, and she told me her name was Ashley, Ashley Bicker. And I said, uh, she said, Pastor Craig, I want to know what what God's voice sounds like. So, what does God's voice sound like? And I said, well, listen, Ashley, it's, a, it's kind of a complex thing. I said, what's going on in your life? And she began to tell me that she was doubting whether or not God was real because of the pain and depression in her life. And, she had gotten involved in cutting, and she was, as a teenager, as many in our culture were cutting. And, and I said, well, listen, Ashley, if, if there is a God, He does talk. I said, in all practical ways, He sounds like my conscience. And she said, no, 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 what does He really sound like? And I said, you know all those voices in your head, they're you, right? So if you're not believing in God, you've got to agree with me that all those voices in your head right now that are telling you to do these bad things, they're you, right? And she said, yeah. I said, well, what other ones could they be, right? They're you. So if you are hearing voices, they're you, right? And I said, here's the strange thing, uh, Ashley. The strange thing about your life is that you have a cacophony of voices inside of you of everyone who's ever gotten into your soul. Everyone who's ever gotten into your soul consistently speaks in the echo of your soul for the rest of your life. They do. In fact, that's why we dads, our voices become the inner voice of the child. The way they speak to themselves becomes their dad's voice, their tone, their tenor. It gets down inside of their voice. It gets inside of their heart. And so I said, all this cacophony of voices, and I said, uh, a parent who spoke to you, you'll never be anything. A teacher who spoke to them, spoke to you that you would never amount to anything. A boyfriend who broke your heart. I said, they stay with you, don't you? I said, but listen, when you've about to commit suicide, have you ever had a voice to say, no, you can do this? Because in my life, actually, I've had times where I've been discouraged and I and I wanted to give up, but there was this, oh, all this is voice. It was not a loud voice. All this voice say, no, you got more in you than this. It was just kind of this voice. And then there were times when I wanted to do something wrong to somebody else, and this voice would say, no, you, you actually can be patient in this. God is calling you to more. And I said, why are you here? She said, I got invited to camp. And I said, well, that's why you're here, but why are you here talking with me right now? And she looked at me and I said, Ashley, can I challenge you? I think that there's a little voice inside of you. And I think that little voice inside of you, you would have to admit, told you to come talk to me because I preached tonight, and that little voice inside of you said, go ask him, what does the voice of God sound like? And I'm going to ask you, Ashley, does that little voice keep arguing with you? Come on, Ashley, you know what I'm talking about? You want to commit suicide? You want to continue in a path of self-destruction? But that little voice in there, it, it, it says, no, you're worth it. It keeps saying, you're worth it. You're worth my grace. Go talk to that guy. Isn't it like a parasite that's eating your brain, Ashley? It's like every time you want to do something, there is that voice, and you don't know how it got in there, and you can't get it out, but it's like a parent, and she's like, Yes! It's like, it's a parasite in my brain. And I said, Ashley, that parasite
1: is God.
0: And he's not going to stop talking to you. So you can do whatever you want to do. You can run as far as you want to run, but he's not going to stop talking to you. He's going to keep on pursuing you. and He's going to keep on telling you that he loves you. And he will assure you that he wants to speak to you and he wants to care for you. Why? Because, Because that voice is the voice of God. On the other side of that voice is life. It's life. Would you bow your heads with me all across this room right now? Father, in the stillness of these moments, we thank you for a God who speaks. Some of you right now, his voice is echoing in the hollowness of your soul. I love you, 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 I love you. Hebrews says, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son to tell you, Jesus is the word that keeps speaking life to us. It's life. Life is in the voice of God. So we can meditate on the words God has given you so that you can know the words that are yet to come. Because he will keep speaking and he will keep sharing and he will keep loving because he intimately wants to know you. Even if you're in this room you don't believe in God, God can speak to you. The Lord can say to you today, it's time. Come to my love. Come to my life. Jesus in John 15 called us to abide in Him. The foundation of that reality means we talk with Him. The foundation of our relationship with God is that God talks and we talk. God listens and we listen. This is what it means to serve a living God, a resurrected Savior, a speaking God.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, Be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.